You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy! Joining us this portion of our program all the way from France is author Ray Brown. His wonderful book, In Unexpected Places, Death and Dying, Building Up a Picture, is an O-Book 2011 release. It's a broad look at the landscape of teachings about death and dying, birth and rebirth, which crosses cultures and time periods. He looks at teachings from Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, the teachings from China, Mesopotamia, Tibet, Africa and elsewhere. Just what happens when the body dies? This is the question Ray has looked at, and I think it's an extraordinary book that everybody in our audience would benefit from reading. Ray, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a very unusual subject matter in in, in the way in which you have approached it. Why were you inspired to do this kind of work? Well, uh, let me explain. Um, since since I was fairly young, as probably you would realize, uh, I've been interested in, in in spiritual matters, not specifically in death. Uh, I'm not I'm not actually obsessed with death, uh, but it did occur to me over the past few years that that we that we live that we are witnesses to what is of a tremendous paradox. You know, we we go through our lives, and every day, every week, uh, every month, we we are preparing for things. It might be meetings, it might be interviews like today, um, it might be interviews for a job, it might be weddings, it might be uh, lessons, um, and we we take preparation as something natural. But death is something that we don't do much preparation for. I hear I'm talking about most of us in, in, in the Western culture. This is not true of every culture. But um, the majority of us, I think, don't really pay much attention to getting any kind of characterization or idea of what death may mean or, or perhaps um, ask ourselves, do we need to mentally prepare ourselves in some way for this? Um, so that was something that began to, 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 to obsess me, and I thought, well, maybe it's worth looking at the different religions, different belief systems, um, including oral traditions um, and, of course, science, and try to see if it's possible to, 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 to tease out some kind of common uh, and shared uh, characterizations of what it means to 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 die and what and what happens afterwards, because I think that the situation is I think for many people even if they are grounded in a faith, I think the situation is that it's it their their imagination is really pushed to limits if they try to imagine or think about what actually happens to them um, after their death. When we look at some of the traditions, I mean, you've done a, a great job, a very broad stroke of looking, for instance, at the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And we've talked about that on occasion on our program. So why don't we start there? Because it's, I think it's the one that has gotten the most promotion in the West of yes, this yes. sort of this current generation of spiritual seekers. So what does the Tibetan Book of the Dead add to our awareness of the journey after life? I think what it would it what it adds, what it tells us. Uh, one of the problems with the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I think, 
for Westerners, certainly it, it was a problem for me, is that it's, it's difficult to access because of the imagery. Mm-hmm. Because the imagery it's pretty is, frightening. is grounded <laughs> in tantric Buddhism. And it's quite, it's, 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 it's difficult to understand, I think. Um, well, you know, and I think, I, and it's worth talking about for a moment before we go any further, in that the culture itself creates the metaphors that presumably describe the soul's journey. So a Tibetan culture, which talks of spirits drinking blood from cups made of human skulls, as you point out in your work, versus yes. perhaps how in Judaism and the Kabbalistic teachings, when they talk about the different parts of the soul and the higher aspects no yes. longer being in the physical body while some deteriorate with the physical body, it's a right. very different kind of story. So the culture in which it takes place has a lot to do with the story of the afterlife. Yes, yes, yes. That's 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 true. Um, I think the also the 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 meeting with the various deities in the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, has. I think I point this out in the relevant chapter in the book seems to me to be to have a pedagogic character to invite us uh, in the um, period after death to reflect on on our behavior uh, during during life uh, and in that way to over those experiences that the Tibetan Book of the Dead describes in some sense to um, I suppose the word would be to purify ourselves. In other, in other words, to be able to continue living in a non-physical environment. When you talk about that for a moment, it's past life reviews are spoken of through many um, experiencers who say they've had a near-death experience and they see their life go before them. But in yes. most traditions, whether it's Christian or or Muslim or any other, talks about this this event. That yes. seems fairly consistent, does it not? It does, yes. Yes, it does seem very consistent. Um, and uh, and I think it is present in the Tibetan Book of the Dead also, obviously. I think this this reflection on things, on this movement uh, from a, a plane which is basically very, um, very physical and that sometimes reflects violence uh, to uh, a much less um, physical plane, which I think has parallels in, in, in other traditions as well. I mean, I think immediately of the Kabbalah, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yes. And, and so when you started looking at all of these various teachings, some of them are very ancient from cultures like the tale of Gilgamesh, for instance. It's so long ago. And then yes. we have very modern descriptions of what is consciousness, what if, what is non-local consciousness, what, sur- what survives the body at death. I mean, it seems to me that there's an, um, a crossroads happening between the ancient teachings and the mystery traditions about the eternal aspect of us yes. and physics effort to try to help us appreciate that this is actually what's going on every day. Something's yes. always being born and something's always dying, but when it comes to our body, it's freak-out time. Yes, yes, right, right. And um, 
Sorry, what was your... What, what, well, what, so what, I'm, what, I'm kind of curious when you... Well, yes, when you look at all of these things, let's, let's look at Gilgamesh as an example because he plays a role in your book, and I think the stories he tells and the wisdom teachings are applicable to anybody. Yes, yes, that's right. I think Gilgamesh I, I saw as being a kind of pivotal point in the book, and um, I... Uh, interpreted as you as you will have seen the book that Utnapisht the boat sorry that uh, Utnapishtim uh, made uh, under very def with very definite instructions as being a metaphor <coughs> for the um, the self for the spiritual body, which um, was something that Gilgamesh was not granted because at the end of the story we're told that he couldn't stay awake for seven nights and six days. And so the secret of the boat wasn't given to him. Um, and so he died a man, although a king, he, 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 he was mortal. He, he didn't, in other words, um, this was my own vision of the, of, of, of the epic, he didn't reach, he, he didn't reach his, his, his higher self, mm-hmm. which would have allowed him to more easily enter, uh, in inverted commas, the realm of uh, the afterlife. So then do you think that, I mean, we've also, you, you may not be familiar with our program, but we have spent two decades now looking at all of the different aspects of what survives death, what what is it that enables us to see into the future, the past, to even read yes. past lives? What happens, do you think, to cultures that don't believe? Let's just start here with reincarnation. Right. What what happens to them, do you mean? Um... Meaning, is it harder for a culture that only believes in a single life to to appreciate that the afterlife, as you point out, is another way of living? Yes. I uh, Well, I... I well, I don't get the impression that it's particularly difficult. I mean, it, I think that it is, um, it's a problem, but it's a problem that people would not be aware of. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Um, well, so if you it, only, it, go ahead. Because they, because of the, if, if they don't believe, as it were, if they don't believe in, 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 in an afterlife or in any kind of uh, higher self, a different way of being, a non-physical way of being, a more permanent way of being, uh, then there's no way that they can prepare themselves for it. And from your vantage point with your own spiritual practice, as well as the study of so many, that's a great disadvantage. Well, it it would seem to me, I might need more time to think about it, but uh, responding immediately to it, it would seem to me to be a problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. but as far as I mean, I, I'm I'm I can't actually think of any culture that doesn't have a belief in the in, in the afterlife. Can you can you mention one? No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and if it exists, I haven't met them yet. I mean, I know right. there are people who say they're atheists and they don't believe in anything, and this oh, is yes, it. Yes, yes, right. And when they die, that's it, and there is nothing more, which I personally can't fathom. Right. And, and so it, it's almost as if the mindset we hold about how we live now affects a great deal, obviously, then about our mindset, about what comes after the now. Yes, yes. That, yes, that's, that, that must, that has got to be true, yeah. 
um, the person who you mentioned, an, uh, an atheist, for example, I mean, it would look to me as if, assuming that what we, we that, 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 that what those of us who, who, who accept an afterlife are saying uh, is so, that the person who is a convinced atheist, um, or as one of your interviewees used the term militant atheist, I think some time ago, uh, would 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 after death in some kind of bardo uh, find themselves, you know, quite lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think your premise, one of the things that so attracted me to your book in the first place, not only that in unexpected places is itself unusual, but right. your subtitle, Death and Dying, Building Up a Picture. Right. Talk to us a little bit about this, Ray, why building up a picture is is really, I mean, from it's almost like getting to the end of your book before we get through the interview. But in a sense, what is this building up a picture for? Well, the obviously I had people in mind uh, when I wrote this book, and I and I think I was actually I was basically thinking of people who may who may well be practicing a faith, mm-hmm. but who haven't given a great deal of thought to the afterlife in any real terms. Um, and so it was to, so that they weren't in any way specialists in this area, but to stimulate them to think and to have some kind of a picture of um, what may happen afterwards. I see it as a kind of sliding scale, if you like. Um, one could get the impression um, that, you know, when you talk of the self uh, and so on, that it's a, that it's a sort of, you know, it's, it's absolute as one or the other. Either you have it or you don't have it. Whereas my own feeling, possibly totally wrong, but my feeling is that it's a kind of sliding scale. And that's why I've said building building up a picture, because the picture uh, may be um, detailed and precise, or it may be uh, more impressionistic. You see what I mean? I do. And the thing that I find so interesting about sort of the supposition of building up a picture is something you said at the very start of our discussion, which is we plan for things all the time. And we hold the image of our head. I'm going to the grocery store. I have a list. I know what I'm getting. I know where I'm going to put it when I bring it home. I mean, we spend all this time being very methodical, practical, and reasoning, and intuitive, thank God, about our daily life and during our lifetime, the things we go about manifesting. And yet, as you point out, every single one of us will die. And every single one of us will have this experience, and as, of course, I believe many times, and yet our culture does everything it can to hide death from us. Right, right. I think that brings in another issue, um, which is the question of values. You know, I mean, obviously, in, in, in our Western culture, we live in a, in, a, in a society which has become, since the Industrial Revolution, more and more materialistic. Um, and uh, values have become more material. And I think I mentioned this inside of the introduction of Chapter 1, that uh, y- there are a number of things we have destroyed in, our, in terms of our values, our human values, uh, our environment, for one thing, we're not helping it a lot. And I think that if one, it seems to me, although I'm perfectly aware that there are there are people who are convinced atheists who have values that are very, very good and very human. Um, 
But I think our materialistic society has tended to deform and debase our values. Uh, and an awareness of or a picture uh, of what may come afterwards can go some way to redressing our values and allowing us to put things in perspective. It's a little bit an awareness of death. It's a little bit all of us. I think all of us at some time or other in our lives have at least had one occasion where we came close to death, perhaps in an accident. Um, and when that happens, uh, we say to ourselves, oh, everything, now I understand what is important, what is not important. Uh, and one has a feeling momentarily of being able to control those things in one's life. Sadly, that may not last more than a few days. So we and know. I, I always joke those. that everybody finds God when they're really sick. <laughs> yes, right. Well, right, right. Or in a crisis. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. the Lord is there in your heart, your mouth. And, and that always tells me, though, that, that it's, a, it's a universal soul experience that is that is attached to something greater than the small self that we call ourselves. Exactly, yes. And that oftentimes it takes a society um, great hardship to come to that, as as we've seen. I mean, it's even said in, in the Kabbalistic tradition that messianic consciousness or Mashiach will only come when humanity prays to God yes. for this moment in our own development, that it's right. not just going right. to happen out of the ethers because some great creator thinks we're just swell. Right, right, right. I, I, I was always struck by the, um, by, you know, when one reads the Bhagavad Gita, for example, by the fact that the Creator, uh, Krishna says to Arjuna several times, that the Creator stands aside, that the world is run by the, in my English translation, I think it says, the forces of nature. Um, and... Um, that, I think, is, is, is something along the same lines that you have just been describing, that uh, with, with the, the human beings involved in this would have to, by some decision of their own, uh, change the direction of the forces of nature, so just what, what the Bhagavad Gita calls the forces of nature. Yeah, in, in... I think the line is, the forces of nature are the only actors in this vast drama. And he who realizes that uh, comes into my being or something like that. And, of course, the, it's very particular to each tradition because that would, I think, within Judaism, it would be a little different than that in that right. it's believed that human beings can be above nature, meaning right. we can act outside the province of, for instance, the influence of astrology, of the zodiac, of the planets on our on our nature. But look, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come right back. And I hope everybody will stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dean Radin. I'm author of the book called Supernormal. I'm also chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences in Petaluma, California. You can learn more about my work at deanradin.com. That's D-E-A-N-R-A-D-I-N.com. And more about the Institute of Noetic Sciences at ions.org, I-O-N-S.org. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.
Welcome back. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Our guest is Ray Brown. Ray, you know, one of the things that I like so much about the book is that it drafts so many traditions into one place. And if you were to describe to the audience the similarities that you found about life after death, what are some of them? Well, I think the similarities, um, uh, basically there are two axes. One is the uh, permanence versus impermanence, that uh, considering um, any kind of afterlife, uh, well, first of all, one has to, 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 to realize that what, it's, what we are living is something that is really impermanent. Uh, the chapter on which delves a little bit and just a little bit into quantum physics makes that point. And that what we know as reality really, even in common sense terms, is 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 a split split second affair. I mean every every split second disappears into the past and the future isn't there yet. Um so our reality uh, the reality that we think we know indeed is, is very is very impermanent. Uh, and, and and also ourselves. So there's the notion of permanence. What is permanence? Which is not an easy thing to define either. And in one of the chapters in the book, I try to 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 discuss ways of of of, of defining this. Um, the other thing is the difference between the other two things. There's another axis which is physical, non-physical, which has a parallel and visible, non-visible. Um, Lots of many things are visible to us, and many are not visible. Even in the electro electromagnetic spectrum, there's a lot that is not visible. Um, and and of course, uh, the um, what is physical and what is non-physical after after death. Um, and the the Muslim philosopher of the 12th century in Spain that I quote there made this point that uh, it won't be a physical body. Although certain certain traditions talk about a physical body, well, it depends what you mean by physical body, obviously. But it's not a physical body in the in the way we understand it. It would certainly seem. And and when you read all the different traditions, and certainly I have also been a student my entire lifetime of the many different ways, the mystery traditions speak of the many bodies that the physical dense body is just the last of our body, and it only manifests in order for the soul to have a mortal experience in order to refine itself, in order to become immaterial again. Yes, yes. So that we come into the physical world in order to refine our our nature, to refine our behavior. So so let's talk about that then. If if the soul comes down to have a mortal experience, self-mastery and self-refinement seem pretty important in terms of what we're going to experience after the physical world. And if if what Rudolf Steiner used to say is is so, that uh, our learning has to take place at this level, that what we what, that our physical life is the life in which we learn things, and 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 that we are also able to develop concepts uh, which will assist us in the afterlife, but that in the afterlife itself, according to Rudolf Steiner. We don't actually learn. And so that's why we want to come back to Earth again. 
When many people speak of the afterlife in different traditions, there's descriptions. You know, in, in Judaism, there's Gan Eden and the world to come, Alam Haba. In others, there's this um, magnificent place where you go if you're good. <laughs> and if you right. haven't been so good, it's not quite so magnificent. So right. sh- share with us a little bit about how much of the afterlife, according to these various traditions, is the result of what our mind projects from our life experience and our fears versus what we might really experience because it's the nature of the soul to do these things, to go these places? Well, um, I think everything is it ultimately must be bound up with mind in a much broader sense. Um, it must ultimately be bound up with mind in the sense of the field. Um, and uh, so, uh, when you were mentioning different traditions, I thought of the of the uh, of the tradition of the in West Africa of the Malian Xenophil tradition, where the dead person eventually, or a part of him, which which is linked to God, which they call the peel, um, which is part of God, they say, has to get, has to go back to the the, the, the village of the ancestors, literally. Um, and I haven't seen any any allusion to whether you know this is a good good or bad or um, there's just something that the the peel may experience some difficulty on the way from another part of the body the kneel which seems to correspond to something like what uh, some people call the astral body um, the emotional and that body could prevent it from reaching the village of the of, of, of the ancestors which itself would be perhaps an equivalent to a sort of um, hell, if you like. Um, but I think the issue of culture, what our minds create, what we have created in our minds, has got to be an in, has got to be influential in what happens afterwards. It would seem that way. I mean, if if we can assume a few things, that when you look at these different... Um, aspects of the afterlife and some speak of you know everybody that i know of who has had a near-death experience myself included when i was very young will speak of seeing the deceased that they knew will speak of seeing their life in review will will speak of very common things but some people and there's now a television show about these stories of some people experience pretty horrific places and then right. they get freed from it. And then they say that they're going to change their life because they feel like they were given a second shot at being better. So share with us a little bit about this this effort of, um, I guess it would be a consciousness development or development of one's consciousness. You mention it, as do, of course, all the sacred societies. How does one, how would you characterize this higher consciousness, I guess, would be the best choice of words? Ah, now that's that's a difficult question. That's definitely a difficult question. Um, it certainly um, all, all, almost all of the traditions mention this, yeah, in some way or another. Um, so, just just some some kind of characterization. It's got to be a consciousness which is which is broader than what we have at the moment. People who go through near-death experiences, as, as you are perfectly aware, uh, and, and you had one yourself, is um, one of the one of the experiences which seems to be common to all is a feeling of vastness. 
that their consciousness becomes much vaster, which implies that the consciousness is above the, our normal consciousness. Um, so that would seem to be, uh, to, to me, to be the main characteristic. And the other one, I think, the other ones would be, I think, um, an absence of fear, um, a feeling of confidence, and the feeling that that you um, are that you are that you're able to go somewhere. And, and I'd like so to add to that. To go somewhere. And I'd like to add to that the expression of love. Um, most people yes, describe yes, this yes. incredible yes, feeling. That is something that you find in NDS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you put all that together, it's it's a rather pleasant <laughs> description of what will come from many people. Right. And But on the other hand, we also have a part of culture in the West that speaks of nothing but hell and the burning of damnation and, and all these horrible evil spirits. And there are people terrified to die. Right. So let's talk what what about what fear does then to the consciousness right. potentially of the person who is dying. Sorry, could you repeat that last thing? Well, if people have fear, I mean there there are some people from the culture or the belief they have or what they've read or who knows why, they believe that dying and death is going to be a horrible place of damnation in hell and they will be there for in eternity. Right. And so when they know they are about to die, or are they, they are dying in complete fear. I'd like yes, to talk right. about what you have experienced from your studies or your own spiritual path. Right. What does fear do to human consciousness, and why it's so important for us to get over this? At least that's well, my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fear definitely freezes um, our, our consciousness. Uh, it seems to me. I mean, it, it makes it very difficult for us to 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 develop, to to have any kind of broader vision. It turns us in a way very much in upon ourselves. I noticed that in in just looking at some of the characteris- characterizations of near death experiences, that there are that there is a mention of those negative experiences of extreme fear, isolation, guilt, torment, and confusion, uh, which. Um, uh, maybe you know it's interesting to notice that, but one wonders what 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 how they come about. Are they a result of a continual repression mm-hmm. during life of any consideration of death? And also, some people in NDS imagine a tunnel and mist. Is that? I'm asking a question here. I'm not actually saying that this is the answer. Is that due to uh, the an absence of the concepts needed? To comprehend, to comprehend the non-physical life. That's an interesting thought because, yes, yeah, some cultures don't. The importance, the importance, therefore, of some kind of practice, whether in the form of a formal religion or not, some kind of practice um, in developing concentration, maybe meditation, yoga, something, um, to be able to overcome that fear and those limitations. And there again, I think, I think again of my West African example, actually, which has the, has, 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 has the, has the beauty of being quite simple, since it's an oral tradition, um, of the peel, which is part of God, trying to reach the village of the ancestors, and being prevented by the other part of the, of the, of the dead person, which 
uh, is some kind of uh, an astral body which has a lot of things that are not very nice, perhaps attached to it, which tries to prevent the peel or the soul, the, 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 the bit that is really linked to God, to reach the, 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 the village of the ancestors. Um, I don't know if that gives any kind of characterization. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting is that most traditions speak of different phases of the afterlife. It's not just a one-shot deal in the same right, way right. that our own lives aren't a single day. It's many minutes, many hours, many days, months, years, if we're blessed. In the same way in the afterlife, it's, it, I would assume, I, you know, what I can speak to, I've experienced through meditation, but not death this lifetime, thank God. And so it might be recall or it might be supposition. And there are some people who say, who cares, folks? Let's just live a good life and get on with it. So when we come back, I'd like to look at that perspective of people who say, well, come on, Ray and Zohara, like, you know, let's just do a good job now. So thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Christopher Vesey. I'm a naturopath and author of different books on naturopathy, among others, The Natural Remedies for Inflammation and also The Acids Alkaline Diet for Optimum Health. The coming book is The Spiritual Mystery of Blood. You can find more information about my books on my website, which is Christopher Vasey, V-A-S-E-Y dot C-H. Uh, you are listening to the 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zoe Hieronymus. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and this is 21st Century Radio. Now we return to our interview. Ray, I want to come to something there are probably some people saying of, you know, so what difference does it make? Because something's going to happen anyway. Why do we need to know about it? And so I'd like to start there because I think that your book does a great deal to help somebody who is really interested in looking at the many possibilities. So why is it important for somebody to think about this, particularly if they're saying, you know, why don't we just worry about now, now, and when we die, we'll figure it out? Right, right. I could perhaps begin by quoting something that somebody said to me not long ago. Uh, The person said, is it not better to just get on with one's life and not waste time with all those speculations? Afterlife, reincarnation, the higher self. Uh, There is no scientific proof of any of those things. That that is one one way of, um, of objecting to it. Um, I think it's probably the easiest one to deal with because uh, scientific proof is something that I think more and more uh, we realize is a relative thing and that that even in science, speculation is something that is not banned. And I was looking the other day at Arthur Kirstler's wonderful but quite old book now, The Sleepwalkers, where he, at the end of it he says, how do we make progress in science? And he says it's the people who make progress, the, the, the great scientists, are often iconoclasts. They break what was there before. They, 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 they start on a new road, so to speak. Now, that's one way of dealing with that one, but uh, how, would you, how would I explain to people that in fact it is important and not a waste of time? I think the only arguments I could use would be to, to suggest that, that humanity um, has, over time, got to somehow improve itself um, and become, well, become more spiritual. Um, 
and that it is the destiny of humanity to, to, to do that. And I think that is what a lot of most religions ultimately say um, in, in different ways, of course. Um, so I think that that is something that that question of change, of striving for change, um, and one of the points uh, also made uh, often is that when after, in an afterlife, one has to have a review of one's life, yeah, and that you one, one witnesses the way one behaved, perhaps uh, badly at times, and that one feels the pain felt by the other person. And that is a sort of development of, of, of a more of a more developed consciousness, and I suppose the idea of reincarnation is that one becomes more and more, um, the human race becomes more and more perfect. And so one would hope that a society would value this process and focus more than on self-refinement, self-mastery, self-control, yes. better behavior. I mean, you know, my own path is a, is studying these things through the lens of the Hasidic tradition and Kabbalah and yes. the traditions of the people of the book. And what I find in it is that if you actually look at the Tree of Life, it describes how you really can go about yes. becoming yes. self-mastered, and it actually describes the journey of the afterlife. I mean, I haven't written on Absolutely, that aspect, yeah. but so... In your own journey, I, I noticed in one little thing you wrote about yourself, which was minimal. <laughs> there was one little <laughs> sentence that for 20 years you had a spiritual teacher. And yes. what path was that? What tradition are you a student of? Well, I know it was a, it was a mixture of West, of West and East. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my spiritual teacher has now been dead for over 20 years. But um, it was a, it, I would describe it as a mixture of West and East. Um, he actually, interestingly from what you've just said, he, he also often used the, the Kabbalah as an illustration in simple terms, the tree of life, mm-hmm. of the movement from the physical to the, to the, to the spiritual. And I, it's, it's something that I use in the book as well, actually, yes, once or twice. Yeah, no, it's, I, find it's... It a very, I find it a very useful model. And it's very precise, and yet I have to say, having grown up in the faith and not having been schooled in this sort of more of the esoteric tradition, I didn't know that Judaism believed in reincarnation. I didn't know that Judaism taught resurrection. I didn't know that Judaism... You know, there were so many things that were just concealed unless you, I guess, were in a particular... And so... If if I've understood correctly, there were, were, um, 2,000 years ago, a lot of different strands... Well, not a lot, but Mm -hmm. a number of different strands in Judaism, weren't there? Well, I I think one can say there are always different teachers and therefore lineages, but I think all around the world what we saw was the deeper wisdom traditions are always a threat to government, are always a threat to the mundane rulers. Oh, absolutely. And so throughout humankind's history, including our current incarnation as a culture, it doesn't favor the government to tell humans that they are gods, godlike. That, oh, they, right. that they can see well, into that, the past. That, that was a big problem in Christianity, of course, with the Gnostic Gospels, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. That the Church couldn't stand the fact that the, 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 that the Gnostics were saying that God was in man. Right. And this was a serious problem, and it's one of the reasons why um, uh, some religions, and Christianity is a case in point, so is Islam, have become very, very political over time. Christianity became political fairly early, actually. Well, so did Islam, actually, uh, in, in, in its life. 
um, and became dominated by 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 basically by politics and a number of things. A number of things went underground. Maybe yes, they exactly. were Rosicrucians. Maybe there were there were various esoteric sects, heretics in the Middle Ages, such as the Cathars in southern France, and and and, and others. And generally, they were, if possible, wiped out because they were a nuisance. And so when you look then, I was glad to see you talk about quantum physics and some of our, you know, our, our efforts to understand how consciousness is everywhere and everywhere, as my great late dowsing teacher, Terry Edward Ross, used to say. How do, do you see that we are in an awakening period out of a darkness or are we still descending into greater limitations? My own personal feeling is that we are in a period where things are changing. Um, albeit, I mean, albeit probably slowly, but I, but I, well, I think, I think things are changing. I mean, if one looks at the past, say, fifty years, um, it, 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 it's, it would be impossible to imagine another war in Europe, for example. I think, uh, and on the whole, well, we have wars elsewhere, of course, we still, but on the whole, things are getting better. I feel. And uh, if things are getting better on a, on a physical level, we still have to deal with things like politics uh, and, 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 and political control. Um, and I think that, that, is, that is going to take more time, obviously. Yes, because... because there are questions of, of the consciousness of people yeah. uh, developing, uh, people involved in those things, and that, that is not automatic. Well, and, and it's really interesting. I'm an optimist. Well, I am too. And, and I share your opinion that, that while some aspects of our culture and our civilization might still be um, involved in things that we would think to be fairly primitive, and I don't mean primitive right. in a good sense of indigenous cultures, I mean primitive in the sense of barbaric selfishness. Sure. Well, like, like, the, like the recent uh, financial uh, crash and things like that. And so then when we look at a book like yours and the effort that you've made, and I love that you thanked your wife in the introduction, <laughs> that had it not been for her, you said, I may never have thought of these things. Well, that's true. We've been together a long time, so um, I'm, I'm, I might well have been one of those people who simply said, you know, I've got more interesting things to do. How has bother di- about these speculations. <laughs> How has writing this book changed you or added to your life? Well, I think it has certainly one of the advantages of putting things down in writing, and it, it took some time. I mean, it, I think I suppose I spent about two years, roughly, not every day, evidently. Um, I think it helps you. It helped me to to see, even if it's not in great detail, to have a broad sweep mm-hmm. of the of the different cultures and belief systems involved, and to see what they share. One of the things that I had in my mind um, as I wrote this book was the was the book that Aldous Huxley wrote in the 1940s called The Perennial Philosophy. Yes, excellent book. Where he was dealing mainly with um, with metaphysics, if you like, whereas I'm here dealing with death. But I mean, the approach was was rather similar. It was to look in a broad sweep across the different the different belief systems and try to see what they had in common, while accepting that, of course, they also have differences. And I, and one of the beautiful things that I find about all of them is that all of them teach that suffering is the result of our own consciousness, that we make right. suffering. Absolutely right, right. Well, that's but, a very profound... We ourselves. And I think some of the fascinating things, uh, questions that, that uh, I, I raised but, of course, couldn't answer, 
is to what extent are we responsible for suffering in the form of, say, natural disasters? I think from a great an environmental deal. point of view, one can see it. No, I, I, you know, we've actually talked about that on this program over the years, which is yeah. the capacity of humans to actually affect nature en masse. And we know it right. from just very limited research on meditation that can bring down crime. We know that if we manifest everything that's physical in the physical world from the immaterial realm of the imaginal, yeah. then, then why can't we also affect weather patterns with consciousness? Right, right. I believe right. it's true. Right. Well, look, Ray, we are almost out of time. We have about 45 seconds. How would you like to close this evening for our audience? Um, well, if I may, if I could just sum up a few things that, um, I, that, in a way, are the, in simple terms, the message of the book. One is that is a message of the unreality of impermanence and the reality of an underlying permanence. And the second thing is the fact that there is an invisible world that exists alongside the visible ones, and it is much bigger. At one point I took the Kabbalah as, a, as an illustration of that. And the third one is that our consciousness can survive death. Near-death experiences have really established that on a, on a fairly scientific basis. And, and on to that, <laughs> we'll be back for more on 21st Century Radio. Follow up with Ray Brown at www.21stcenturyradio.com. That's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and remember, we do need more love in the world.